TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Well, guys, it was a it was a good run while it lasted. Unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. I am James Murphy here with another edition of the Score North Gopher Show. I'm here in studio at Score North. With me via the telephone is Daniel House. Daniel, Gophers drop a heartbreaker in Iowa at Kinnick Stadium. They lose 23-19 to to the Iowa Hawkeyes and drop to 9-1 and on the year so far. Iowa, with that win, advances to 7-3 and on the season, but... All in all, it was a close game. The Gophers had a shot at the end to uh, to see what we had we had seen from them earlier in the year, where they were able to come back and and uh, snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat. Unable to do that on Saturday, Daniel. What are your in- initial reactions to that uh, that first loss for the Gophers at Iowa? Well, first off, this is the first Score North Gophers show where we've had to talk about a defeat. Yeah. It's you know like I said it's I I didn't the, the way that the season had been going and and we talked about it last week we just we didn't see a loss here on the schedule and maybe that was our fault for overlooking the Iowa Hawkeyes they they did put together a a pretty complete game they they held on at the end when they needed to and and some some uh, some good work from the pass rush to to uh, to take care of business there at the, at the end but I, we didn't we didn't see this when we looked when we looked uh, at this game about a week ago? Well, when you look at the box score, it's pretty crazy. The advanced box score, which looks at all the efficiency, Gophers led in expected points added. They led in success rate. They controlled most of this game. They mm-hmm. moved the ball uh, through the air. The rush, the rushing attack was the big thing that Iowa managed to stop, and that was the difference because Minnesota got in a hole right away, and that's something that they really haven't had to face this year. You're suddenly looking at a 20-3 to hole, and you have to try to dig out of it against an Iowa team that has a strong defensive line with a ton of athleticism. A.J. Espinosa is going to be a first-round pick. He's a freak. He was dominant. Mm-hmm. They were able to just tee off against the pass. That's the big difference. I mean, this offense is the quick passing, three-step drop, get the ball out, the RPO game. Suddenly they had to shift the way and execute some more five-step drops and longer developing routes, which played right into the hands of Iowa. You knew that they wanted to win the toss, take the ball, go up the field and score, and put the pressure on the Gophers, and they were able to do that. They managed to control the trenches with physicality up front. Espinosa had nine pressures, two-and-a-half sacks, 28% pass rush win rate, according to PFF. So you talk about a dominant performance. Sam Schluter struggled with him. A lot of tackles struggle with uh, Epinesa, but not having Curtis Dunlap, that was something that really could have impacted the game just a little bit because they were using that six offensive line heavy personnel set quite a bit against Penn State to not only help the rushing attack and get more gaps, but it was also really, really helpful in pass protection against the length and athleticism that Penn State had. They slowed that pass rush. And to not have Dunlap, now they're moving two tight ends over there, and that just isn't enough to try to slow down Epinesa, who is is just a top-tier talent. 
No doubt. And as as you mentioned, Daniel, I think it was so important for Iowa to get out to that quick start. As you mentioned, they won the toss, took the ball, went down the field and scored in less than four minutes. And and uh, an unfamiliar feeling for this Gophers team to be down seven nothing right away or six nothing. They did miss the extra point. And then not only just that, but in the first quarter, their Gophers are, are dealing with a 13 point deficit. That's just not a position they've been in so far this year. Well, yeah, and that's the big difference in the game was it changed the whole approach of the Gophers' offense. They were off kilter because they're trying to make adjustments on the fly. They have to modify their style of football, which is just something that you don't really want to do when you're on the road at Kinnick Stadium against a defensive line that's ferocious like that one that has so much talent and physicality, and they're able to tee off against the pass. And then you look at the little mistakes you make, that holding penalty on the explosive run by Rodney, by Bryce Whittem. Tanner ends up picking it up off the scramble on the next play, but then that drop on second and 18 by Bateman over the middle, he catches that ball, it's maybe a TD, and then you hit the middle of the third quarter, fourth and four, perfect play call, quick slant over the middle to uh, Tyler Johnson, he drops the ball, and would have probably maybe had a TD for sure, would have picked up the first down, and Mm -hmm. that would have been a total shift in the game right there, and So you see those little mistakes that they made throughout the game. They made a big difference. Yet, statistically speaking, overall, efficiency-wise, they were better than Iowa. And you look at how three to four plays, I always feel like when I watch football and you look at these games really closely, there's honestly sometimes three or four plays that dictate the whole outcome of a game. Mm -hmm. And that was the case, just small little errors by the Gophers yet they still had a chance at the end against a really good team on the road with the ball in their hand to try to win the game. Uh, It was wild that they were able to keep it as close as they did despite all the mistakes that they made. Daniel, you talk about mistakes made on the field. Uh, you look at a couple of drops, two by your your two best receivers, and I mean Tyler Johnson had a had a hell of a game. He finishes with 170 receiving yards on on nine receptions, but that drop that's going to be a big talking point in into what what the oh, just a missed opportunity. You talk about drops, you talk about penalties, but what we were talking about before we started recording here, a couple of head scratching decisions when it comes to uh, to PJ Fleck, especially for me, I I was more focused on the passiveness in the in the first half especially you look at that possession at the end of the half when you end up kicking a a, a field goal from the two yard line a 20 yard field goal they also had a, a 24 yard field goal in that in that second quarter as well just a little too passive for my liking at least in the in the first half yeah I looked at all these decisions and broke them down I plan on writing about it this week the biggest mistake overall I thought that we're nitpicking, you know, hindsight, it's real easy to to say, Hey, you should have done this a little bit differently. But for me, the biggest one that I would go back and do over again is the 50 yard field goal. When you have the ball in the Iowa 32, it's fourth and 13 numbers wise. They lost a lot of expected points added by just deciding to, okay, let's, let's try the field goal. We're on the edge of his range. The wind's at his back, feeling confident didn't have Michael Lance, had Brock Walker, decided to do that. If they would have maybe just decided to pin deep, because Jacob Herbers actually has had a lot of success when asked to pin people back, you look at even if you're able to pin them at the 10-yard line, it changes everything. Overall, 
probably about a one and a half point difference in PPA uh, and EPA just by deciding to kick the field goal and missing versus punting and hoping you can get them around the 10 yard line. So overall, that decision making that that difference there, you're getting pretty picky, but it set them up with you know the, the ball on their own at the on their own 32. They're able to go up the field and score again. You pin them back and maybe force them to go 90 yards. I don't know, but that's that's nitpicking and that's one little decision that maybe I would have done just a little bit differently. However, uh, it's easy to say no. Yeah, and I, I I definitely think there was there was you know there's some other things we can talk about too. I know you brought it up, Daniel. Uh, deciding to to kick the onside kick um, late in the game when you had just you had just scored and you know you you make it a one possession game instead of just kicking it off and trusting the defense pj decides to go with the low percentage play and the onside kick and and you basically what you end up doing is create a long field for yourself and uh, and we all know what happened at the end but um what what was your what was your takeaway from that decision to go with the onside kick well, the bigger issue was the fact that they couldn't get that play in and they had to burn that timeout right, right before that. And then they ended up, you know, having to totally change their approach with what they were going to do. They could have kicked it deep with two timeouts. I probably would have would have kicked it deep in that case. PJ said with that only one timeout left, he thought, well, let's just try the onside kick here. And when I looked at the numbers, it's actually pretty interesting. So, it depends on what type of win probability you look at. I'm looking at college football data. I trust them with the, with the numbers. They had, after that TD, 73% win probability for Iowa mm-hmm. after that touchdown. I think so, it was about the lowest since they they, they, um, they cut it to – or since they, uh, they they went up 13 to nothing. So that was the closest the game was at that point. Correct. From that point. So when you look at the whole, the whole idea of the onside kick – Gophers had a 27% probability of winning at that point. When teams are expecting onside kicks, it's about 15% below success rate. Uh, So you're talking about, hey, past studies say Harvard did a big study on it. As a coach, you have to feel confident your team has like a 37% chance of recovering. And right now, success rate of an onside kick with a 27% probability of winning is just above 60% because it's not expected. Honestly, I feel like that win probability should be closer to about, you know, 15% at that point because 15% is right where that mark of, well, a team is probably expecting you to onside kick and your probability goes down to about 27% of success. So really it's tough to tough to really know, but honestly, at that point, it really didn't matter. If you kick it deep with two timeouts, then it's probably a sure thing. Honestly, I don't really have a problem with PJ deciding to onside kick it there because, I mean, your probabilities at that point, you're just trying to maybe catch them off guard yeah. a little bit. And if you do, the numbers support that, hey, that's a, that's a strong decision because your probability of recovering it goes way up. And I think the reason that a lot of us um, you know, may hindsight second-guess that onside kick is because the Gophers did get the ball back with two minutes left. And, I mean, obviously that was helped by the fact that you did have the one timeout as well as Iowa. I believe Iowa threw – did they throw an incomplete pass on third down? Or it, it was I, – I forget what it was exactly. Do you remember? On on the third, which which before before they punted there? it back to Minnesota for that for that last uh, that last ditch effort. 
Do you remember what the third down play was? The third down play on that. Oh yeah, it was incomplete. Incomplete pass. pass. That's so. That's why it 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 seemed like well you had two minutes left. Why? But the reason was because Iowa was trying to you know end the game at that point. They did decide to to throw the ball and and Minnesota ended up with as we met as we mentioned multiple times they had a chance to win this game. It, there was no doubt in my mind that they they once they got the ball back and and at that point Tanner hadn't gotten injured. We'll we'll, we'll get into that as well. But uh, they they certainly had their shot to uh, to to do the unthinkable and come back and win this game. Were you talking about the drive before the TD or the drive right before the the onside kick, or like right after the onside? After kick? the onside kick. So after the onside kick, yeah, they ran three times. They did run three times. Okay, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. But um, yeah, they. I, I think that's why people. They, they may second guess that because the Gophers did end up with two minutes left. And if you're staring at a, instead of a 90 yard field, you're staring at a, maybe a 60 yard field. That task just looks a little less daunting. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say right now, but I mean, there's, there's, there's arguments for both ways mm-hmm. in that situation. I mean, yeah, you, that field position could have been, could have been critical, but yet is it really that big of a difference at the end of the game when you're getting rushed like they are, they're mm-hmm. bringing the house and then, the big issue is you know, Tanner gets hurt, and then you, he comes out of the game, and hopefully he's not uh, going to miss the next game or has any lingering effects from that type of an injury. Can can you uh, let fans know exactly what you know about this the status of Tanner Morgan, as well as uh, the, the the comments PJ has has made about him since uh, since the injury? All PJ said was he was a little wobbly and woozy after one of those plays on that sequence. Uh, they actually had to like tell him to stay down on the field because they didn't really want him to stay out there and continue going. So if he got down, then they could come out there and take a look at him. So he went down, and uh, there hasn't been much of an update on him. It, it sounded like they asked Coach Fleck in the press conference if Tanner was going to be in concussion protocol, and he's like, I hope so. So he provided an update on some radio appearances and said he hadn't seen Tanner yet. He wasn't quite sure. So it's going to be worth monitoring that this week. Cole Kramer came in at the end for those final two passes through the pick at the end. Uh, it was a last-ditch effort, uh, literally facing fourth and 21, and mm-hmm. you had to bring your backup in. So it, it doesn't really indicate to me who the potential backup would be based upon someone coming in in that moment because you're thinking about redshirt at that point. It's like, is Cole Kramer going to come in, and, and are you going to bring Jacob Clark in and have him burn a redshirt when he's already played a game? Maybe you bring in Cole Kramer with the idea that we're going to split up some of those uh, red shirt games. I don't know, but uh, we'll see what their strategy is, and hopefully they they don't have to worry about that. If if they do have to potentially start a one, one of the one of the two backup quarterbacks against Northwestern next uh, this coming weekend, which one would you say has the your odds on favorite to uh, to be that starting man? They're both really close. Cole Kramer had a strong spring, better than I anticipated, and he's continued to grow. Jacob Clark uh, fits the system really well. He has a knowledge of it. It was very similar to what he ran in high school, so that's helped his transition. He was able to get a little bit of live action uh, earlier in the season. So I'm not sure what they would do. Do they do they use a little bit more of Seth Green with that in mind that maybe Tanner can't go? We try to implement some more packages with Seth Green and Honestly, I thought the Wildcat was one of their more effective rushing plays uh, against Iowa. It's funny because Wisconsin used a lot of that lead zone stuff the week before, 
and it really caused some trouble. And when Minnesota ran, that Wildcat got downhill. They were able to pick up a lot more yardage. Honestly, I wish they would have ran it just a little bit more because it was one of the most positive plays. Iowa had a lot of trouble with that, especially when their linebackers were coming downhill trying to make plays against the run. But anyways, I would say, yeah, maybe it's probably Jacob Clark. Uh, if I'm picking between mm-hmm. the two, but it's it's really close. You could go either way. I agree. I mean, I, I from what I from what we've seen, the limited amount that we have, and and I think you're right, Daniel, when you bring up the the red shirt issue and and why they might have gone with Kramer in that situation, and why that doesn't exactly mean that's who they'd go with, and if if uh, if Morgan's unable to go this weekend. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back and. Uh, uh, talk about some of the some of the defensive adjustments that the Gophers made that allowed them to get back into this game. And we haven't really touched on the defense, so I definitely want to do that with Daniel after this. We'll be right back here on the Score North Gophers show. Gopher fans, it's Phil Mackey here with a question for you business owners specifically. Have you ever had an insurance claim that left you feeling like you got sacked in the end zone? When something bad happens to the company you built with your blood, sweat, and tears, you don't want to be left sitting on the sidelines waiting to get back in the game. You want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Your local federated representative is ready to create a custom playbook of specialty insurance products and risk management strategies for you. Federated Insurance. It's our business to protect yours. And we are back here on the Score North Gophers show. Again, my name is James Murphy. You can follow my musings on Twitter at Murph, M-U-R-P-H underscore M-N. And with me is is uh, Daniel House. He can be found on Twitter at Daniel House NFL. Daniel, I mentioned before we before we took that break that we would come back and talk about the adjustments that the Gophers had made defensively to really keep them in this game and allow that offense to uh, to get rolling and 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 uh, create some drives. What were some of the things that you noticed, especially coming out of the uh, a really a really disappointing first half that the Gophers did defensively to to keep them in the game. Well, they played a lot of soft zone and off coverage. They did mm-hmm. not want to get beat over the top. I think early on, Iowa started to take some shots downfield. And they're really heavily using that play action, longer developing routes, and Nate Stanley was playing out of his mind. Yep. Like, that's one of the best games I've seen Nate Stanley play, and that couple of the throws specifically that deep out late in the game I'm like that's an NFL throw like Mm -hmm. he put together an extremely efficient game and you look at how they scheme the Gophers I thought they did a tremendous job Uh, they deserve a lot of credit in all the areas specifically I thought on offense Uh, they they had a lot of time in the pocket Nate Stanley did to just sit in and run the right routes into the soft spots of the coverage and they moved the ball up the field and when the Gophers wanted to play man coverage more often, they took deep shots down the field. When they softened up uh, in the box, they ran right at them with the stretch zone scheme, that outside zone look that really, if you start running, they're trying to horizontally displace you. And you get running and you outrun a gap or you're just out of position and miss a tackle, it's over. And that's kind of what happened because they didn't tackle well. I thought when Minnesota tried to stack the box and be more aggressive, maybe play some more man uh, on the perimeter. It meant that their edge people in the alley had to make some tackles. Linebackers had to wrap up and make plays. And if you didn't, uh, they really attacked the Gophers in those situations with misdirections. They're trying to get the, the linebackers' eyes moving and the second-level defenders' eyes moving. And then 
runoff tackle. Uh, they did a nice job of just taking advantage of what the Gophers had in front of them and Minnesota's discipline on the edge. They didn't contain very well. They missed a lot of tackles. And when you're in man situations, that's why the Gophers played a lot of zone, I think. They wanted to keep everything in front of them. You do that and stack things up, you can't miss tackles and mm-hmm. lose edge contain. You just simply have to be disciplined. But in the second half, they made the adjustment. They said, all right, well, we got to start taking some chances. And I tweeted that right before the second half started. I said, they got to start blitzing. they got to bring some front seven pressure because Stanley has struggled when he's faced pressure this year. I just believe the Gophers felt like they didn't want to give up too many big, deep, explosive plays, so they kept stuff in front of them. And when they decided to finally send some pressure and play more aggressive, it really helped them out. And Nate Stanley was less effective throwing the ball. They were able to get in more pass rushing lanes. They were able to force quicker throws. Uh, it just really was a strong adjustment by Joe Rossi. I mean, the defense only allowed three points in the second half. Mm-hmm. So if you look at what they were able to do, how they were able to settle in and keep them in the game, uh, the adjustments were there. They tackled maybe just a little bit better, but that was the big difference is the fundamentals and discipline in that first half. Do you think, Daniel, that Joe Rossi and the Gopher defense, they might have underestimated Nate Stanley a little bit? What I was really impressed by by watching him was his ability to make those throws on the outsides of the field. He he had the arm strength to get it out there and really take advantage of that soft go- zone coverage that you mentioned the Gophers were, were playing primarily in the first half. Do you think they might have just overlooked Nate Stanley just a little bit? I just feel like they really wanted to try to limit the situations where they could get beat over the top one-on-one. They, they just obviously didn't really like the matchups that they had there, and they respected Nate Stanley's arm in those situations. They knew off the play action that they were going to get a lot of favorable looks, and as the game progressed, the, those play action looks allowed – Iowa to just kind of control things because the second and third level, the defense was fighting a little bit harder. And that's, that's just how it all works with this Iowa offense stretch zone, the play action, the boot stuff. They really, really are multidimensional in that area. They they weren't deficient at all this season, but Mm -hmm. uh, they just put together a strong game plan and they put a lot of trust in their quarterback. And I just thought that the Gophers could have maybe maybe adjusted just a little bit quicker. Uh, and I don't know if it was a thing of, like, they didn't respect Nate Stanley. I think it was more of a deal. They just wanted to try to limit explosive plays, and instead they were getting, you know, moving the ball up the field and just kind of slowly poking holes in the coverage. And eventually they said, hey, we just got to start taking some chances. Daniel, for football lay people like myself, um, is is the soft zone? Is that something that the Gophers use a decent amount that they've that you've seen so far this season, especially against in the Big Ten uh, during Big Ten play, or is that something that it, they they don't use that much? And it, maybe that's why we were noticing it not working as well uh, in the first in the first half. They mix it in, but the frequency was a lot higher in the okay. first half. They like to play a lot of, like the Penn State scheme, they played a lot of single high and moved their safeties all over the place. And I mean, they, they mixed it up a little bit, but I thought that for the most part it was a little bit abnormal in terms of what they normally do coverage-wise. So that, that just allowed them to, to kind of move up the field and do things. I thought Rossi was going to be a little bit more uh, elaborate with the coverages in terms of like disguising stuff and 
I just felt like they, they, they just knew something on tape told them that they, did, they didn't want to get all those man one-on-one matchups. And, uh, in the second half, their pressure was able to get home. And that's the big thing, James, that I feel like moving forward, the Gophers have to just continue to keep building their physicality on up front on both sides of the ball because that felt like in the first half it was the bigger difference was that Iowa just had a little bit more physicality. The Gophers seemed to adjust a little bit and played more physical in the second half, but I think that next notch to take this team over the hump is to continue improving that area. Past recruiting classes like this last one that they got, when that develops up, that's when you're really going to notice that difference uh, with this team and they when they elevate up to that next tier. Daniel, we've, we've talked a little bit about the pass defense and the, the changes that they made at half. What did you think about how the Gophers did defending the run? They do give up 117 yards on the ground. Tyler Goodson actually had a really good day, especially in the first half. Um, he does end up with 94 yards and a touchdown on 13 carries. I, he had a lot of open lanes in that, in that first half, uh, long of 26. I, I certainly remember him. Um, you know, basically just running through the gopher defense. How do you think they, they were able to uh, to slow that rushing attack down in the second half? And um, is that something that they can take away and, and really use going forward this year? Well, I think that impacted some of the coverage stuff too is the idea that, all right, you know, we want to we simplify, play zone, keep everything in front of us, allow guys to just make not have to be in man coverage and make a all-or-nothing tackle because that a lot of times happens uh, – and they catch you in a, in a spot like that. And it, it's the way the Gophers were tackling. They just kind of wanted to keep everything in front of them. In the first half, the edge discipline, the contain wasn't there. They did a much better job of that in the second half. It was still a little bit leaky, but for the most part, they, they really improved there. I thought they tackled much better. It was just the fundamentals at the beginning of the game that put them in a hole right away. And if they maybe would have tackled better, I don't know what the result would have looked like. It was just the, the little things seemed to add up the whole game, like mm-hmm. the drops, the tackling, the some of the stuff where they couldn't quite get a play in, so yep. the clock went down and they had to burn timeout. Then that impacted strategy late in the half. And then you see with, with Dunlap out, they didn't have the ability to maybe use the heavy package to help with Espinessa and all that stuff. It just, everything added up. The, the little details just weren't quite checked off, but yet the Gophers still only lost by four points. I think some people just seem to think that, you know, the Gophers got blown out, but they didn't. They, they kept it close despite all the mistakes that they made. So that tells me they have a pretty good team. It's just the margin for error when you go play a team like Iowa, especially on the road in mm-hmm. Connick, and you get behind like that, it's just it's an uphill climb the whole way when you can't play your style. Well, good news for the Gophers. They do have a chance to uh, to get right this weekend. They do take on the uh, the Northwestern Wildcats um, in Northwestern. So what keys can you really look at? And I know this is a game we're expecting the Gophers to, to handle, but um, especially, Daniel, if they don't have Tanner Morgan, um, this is certainly a game where they, they have to they, – they can't just go in assuming they're going to win. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about this, if they don't have Tanner Morgan, I'm a little bit worried because – this Northwestern defense is a top 30 squad in terms of defensive efficiency right now. Their defense hasn't been the reason why they're losing games. Their wide receiver core is probably one of the worst in college football. They are at the bottom of nearly every important metric offensively. 
relative to Rutgers, they're worse in overall offensive efficiency. They're worse in passing the offense efficiency. Last week, two of the worst teams, UMass and Northwestern, <laughs> played. And they were both bottom tier in just about every category. But UMass's defense is like 130 in just about every single important category in efficiency. So I'm looking at this game going, hey, Northwestern's rush defense is pretty good. So it's not like you're going to be able to just say, all right, if Tanner's out, we got to run the ball. We're going to just focus on that. You're going to have to pass the football mm-hmm. in this game to keep things balanced and, and attack them in the right way. Northwestern's defense is not the reason why they have been successful. It's just that anemic offense. So, yeah, this is it, the, the whole storyline with Tanner. If he can't play, you obviously hope that your backups are ready to go and they can do enough and they can benefit from the receivers that are so talented. Mm-hmm. But uh, it would pose an interesting matchup, I think. I think you're right on, Daniel. I think if, if it, you are looking at one of the freshmen starting this game, whichever one it is, I think you can't be afraid to throw the ball because that is the best part of your offense. You can't just become one-dimensional, especially as you mentioned against that, that – um, that Northwestern defense that can stop the run. So I think no matter no matter if if it's Tanner Morgan or if it's one of uh, it's one of the two freshmen, you have to be willing to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, and that's Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Well, and yeah, the the whole whole complexion of the game, you have to take advantage of your playmakers, and there's ways to simplify things down and and try to attack Northwestern's defense with a younger quarterback. The, the thing you're asking that person to do is come in and just manage the game, mm-hmm. don't make mistakes, get the ball where it needs to go, make the correct decisions, and then complement that with the, with the rushing attack. But, yeah, if Tanner Morgan plays, then this game is totally different. I mean, the Gophers' defense the, the, it tips the scale. I mean, Northwestern's offense has been just one of the worst in college football. I mean, that quarterback situation's been – a revolving door and they just haven't been able to create anything uh through the air so yeah this matchup uh on paper everyone's gonna say hey going to going to northwestern that's nothing they're gonna have to play a good game because that's a that's not an easy place that to win either i mean anywhere in the big 10 you got to bring it every single week but the defense is going to have to step up and, and make the plays if, if Tanner's not able to go, which we don't even know what his status is right now. Yeah, we haven't heard anything. PJ has been pretty pretty mum per usual. I mean, you mentioned it to me off air. We, we didn't know anything about uh, Curtis Dunlop not making the trip until until he basically they took the field for warm-ups and he wasn't there. By the way, have we heard anything else on him yet, or, or is, are, we, are we still has it still been all quiet on that front? It's sounding like he, he could be expected to return this next game. So we'll see uh, how that impacts things as well. I just feel like that was a big low-key uh, loss in that game because they, they used that 6-0 line heavy package to, to their advantage, and they could max protect and come in and, and chip a little bit and help there. Tight ends just aren't going to help you much when you've got a guy that's a premier first-round elite rushing talent coming off the edge. And that 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 defensive line for Iowa is just really good. I mean, it's it's one of the best. And what what I really like about the this you know obviously you, you, we we didn't we weren't really looking for a loss at, at all this year. But what this loss does, and I'm excited to talk about this, is mm-hmm. it makes that that game 
the final game of the season against Wisconsin, it that game just means everything now. That's uh, that the winner to that of that game, unless Wisconsin goes down this week, is going to punch their ticket as as the Big Ten West champions um, punch their ticket to to play in the Big Ten championship game and potentially play in the Rose Bowl. So that that's a huge game, and that's before we've even talked about the fact that College Game Day might be uh, taking a trip to Minneapolis. Well, that's that's going to be what you play college football for. The environment's going to be unbelievable mm-hmm. if that's the case. And the Gophers win in Northwestern and Wisconsin takes care of business against Purdue. And you have that matchup for the Big Ten West. So much on the line. Your future aspirations and trying to maybe make a Rose Bowl or even just make it to the Big Ten championship game to still keep your hopes alive that if you happen to do something crazy and, and play well against Ohio State, do you still have a shot at the playoff? Like that seems very, very low and unrealistic, but still like even with everything that, you know, losing this game and the mistakes they made and losing a close game, they still have everything in front of them. That's the exciting thing. Mm -hmm. And they have a chance to maybe host game day for the first time ever rivalry game. You've got the ax, you've got the big 10 West on the line. It will be one of the biggest games in a very long time in the Minnesota sports market in general. What's insane is you had probably one of the biggest games that I can remember in the in the Penn State game from just a few weeks ago, and then you're going to follow that up with a possibly even bigger game that's just a few games later. That's that's insane to think about that just how electric this season has been in terms of big-time games that, that we're not going to forget anytime soon. Well, and I mean, isn't that the point? Like, I, I feel like yeah. when I open up Twitter, I see a lot of people just getting upset about this game. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a close game, and you made mistakes, but you had a shot to win at the end. That's a tough matchup. It's Iowa, and you look at what's happened this season. The the way this Gophers brand is built up nationally. You got PJ Fleck on the College Football Playoff Ranking Show for ten minutes. That's like that. That's like going on a million recruiting business because mm-hmm. you're able to put yourself in front of kids and families everywhere and you don't get that opportunity if you're not playing on the on the big stage and you've elevated the program's brand like there's so much to take away from this season and what it's brought and what's yet to come this is what what you wanted to see happen uh, if you're following this program you wanted to see them put themselves in this position to play in important games and you got this one at home. You got a chance to really crank up the environment, get people excited. College game day. I mean, that's what that's what college football is all about. No doubt. And it's been a long time since you know, Gopher fan. I mean, my lifetime. I. It's never been this exciting. We haven't had the entire city behind this team like it has been. You see those. I really enjoy seeing those those videos at, at high schools where they're they're all in on the row the boat mantra and they're they're just they're getting behind this this college football team like we've never seen before. That's so cool for me to see. I I, I know you share in that in that view as well. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what they've been trying to establish when they hired P.J. Fleck was they wanted to change the whole perception brand of this program and, and make it just not a ball on the field but off the field. And, and he's built a team that models the culture that he wants, and that's why they've been successful. And you look at what's ahead of them, I'm excited to see what happens because I still see a lot of – potential with this team even though they went and lost a tough game it's not easy to win in Iowa I talked to when I was interviewing Jim Tressel on the phone last week for that story that I did on scorenorth.com what a tease he's like 
it's hard for people to win at Iowa. It's hard for everyone. And yeah. he said that right away when we started talking about Iowa. So it, it, And Urban Meyer was even saying it after the game. Like, that is not an easy game. No matter what the records are, you can almost throw those out the window because you know you're going to get their best shot. Here's another free plug, Daniel. So obviously that you heard him just mention um, his his interview and his his uh, his story he wrote with the help of uh, Jim Tressel. So you can certainly find that he'll let you know where. As well as I, I heard your you know you introduced me to, to new statistics all the time. This week it was it was EPA right estimated points added. That's a, that's something I've never heard of before. Yeah. So. Expected points added. It's just a metric for assessing efficiency. So, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and I know you're going to do something with that as, as well as taking a look at some of the decisions the Gophers might have might have made a little bit differently had they known the, the, statistics, or the analytics behind them. Where can the listeners find all of that stuff, Daniel? You can find it on at Daniel House NFL via Twitter. And then uh, I'll also have that article. It's up right now on scorenorth.com with Jim Trestle talking about P.J. Fleck's time as a graduate assistant. He actually got his first uh, college coaching job with Jim Trestle back in uh, 2006. And if he wouldn't have gotten a call from a Northern Illinois assistant in 2002, you really wonder what would have happened with P.J. Fleck in his career. So it's really was interesting to talk with Jim Trestle and get his perspective. So I encourage Gopher fans to go out and check it, check it out. Well, we're, we're certainly happy PJ's career arc turned out the way that it has so far. Um, Gophers do drop. They, they um, drop the big match to Iowa. They lose 23 to 19 for Daniel house. I'm James Murphy. We'll be back next week as the Gophers look to get back in the win column as they take on the Northwestern Wildcats. Again, for Daniel House, I'm Ben James Murphy, and we'll catch you guys next week.